0: Welcome to the Raptor show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, presented by Coors Light. Go from full-time to game-time, Coors Light made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptor show where we listen to podcasts and subscribe and please re review the show. I'm your host, William Lou. I'm joined today for all four segments by co-host Blake Murphy. Blake, how you doing, man?
1: I'm good. You're joined by me for all four segments for now. Uh, I might not be joined by you for four segments. You might not be joined by me. We're we're all... Look, this is a Raptors show. I watched the games last night. I wasn't out having a a nice dinner and then playing ball like you with a smash McDouble falling out of your pocket. Um, But yeah, I watched all those games. It's Shohei watch. The longer this drags on, the more uh, Blue Jays fans are going to be dialed in on on Shohei Mm Otani and his free agency situation. So that is not to say that I'm not ready for this show, just... Yeah. We, we've we maintained a pivot foot here just in case Shohei news comes down.
0: Yeah, to, to, to take viewers behind the scenes uh, or listeners behind the scenes, I uh, arrived at the office, you know, typical time for me, around twelve fifteen. Uh came through with a little pasta from the, the kitchen downstairs. And I walk in and I see Blake and he's got two monitors set up <laughs> and a laptop on the side. And he's got the 905 game on one side. He is looking at, I believe, uh, Justin Boone's, fantasy rankings for football yeah. uh, over at the score uh, on one screen, and then I think he probably had a whole bunch of other like, I had sports. the planning
1: doc for this show up oh, on the other Oh, there you screen. go.
0: Yeah, so yeah, the the official protocol for everyone is that <laughs> if Shohei Tiny makes a move, whether that's signing with the Blue Jays or even elsewhere, we will have to react to it live, and then we will pivot, and Blake will put on his uh, his baseball cap. Um, Not but-
1: literally. I don't have one with uh, you you could, do, though. You
0: could, you could borrow mine if you want i've got this lovely uh, size eight size eight new era uh, how hungry are you hat it's actually one of just five ever made so it's uh, serge abacus how hungry are you it says how hungry are you on the back it's got a little championship uh, with the serge abacus signature there's only five ever made actually and one will be going to uh munich for surge but this surge is
1: with uh, some big buckets yesterday yeah. yesterday or the day before
0: I think it was yesterday yeah. I mean I, I can't I've lost track of time can't profess to say I'm keeping up on EuroLeague that much but Serge Ibaka with a big three uh, to send it to overtime between Bayern Munich where he's playing now and also uh, against I think Olympia Milano who are really struggling on the year but listen we're going to talk uh, some Raptors basketball obviously what else we have we have uh, Mark Stein we're going to talk with him about the NCSN tournament we have Bobby Marks coming out on the program we're going to get his perspective as a general manager in terms of what it looks like to potentially rebuild and sort of rebuilding strategies across the league and then final segment we are going to check in on the Miami Heat the Raptors play the heat tonight at Scotiabank Arena and we will get friend of the program Amy Otterberg, who obviously betrayed us and went to Miami just kidding uh love you Amy and uh we'll we'll chat Kyle Lowry and uh, the rest of the Miami Heat. But, uh, yeah, Blake, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with in-season games, or do you want to hit me with anything 905 or anything Yeah, really do you gay? care
1: about the 905 update? They did play today. They lost again. I, I tuned in for yeah. like a quarter. It was so tough. I tweeted out a big thread of injury updates for Raptors 905 yesterday with a tone of optimism that was like, hey, they're getting some guys back. Uh, someone's coming back Wednesday. A couple guys are due back Thursday, and then a couple more targeting next week. By the end of today's game, they had suffered more injuries and were down to six players. So even wow. if the Raptors wanted to recall Grady Dick for tonight, the 905 play in, in New York again tomorrow against Long Island. They played Westchester today. The nine, like they, they could obviously fly him back and forth. They're not going to do that. I think he's no. going to stay with the 905. But even if they wanted to... Like the 905 might not have enough players to play tomorrow. They've already been in this situation once where they had to Uber a player in yeah. for uh, two players, actually, for a game. Uh, so they lost again. They fell to one and nine. Um, there was a small positive, though. It was the best Grady. Dick has looked. Nice. Um, it wasn't look? like a dominant game, but he had 23 points. He knocked down three of his seven three-point attempts. He got into floater range a little bit, either attacking off of closeout or, or, you know, those same curl routes that get him an open three, kind of veering off of those to the elbow instead. And it was probably the most he's done in terms of chipping in other ways. He had six boards. He had a couple of steals. Okay. Um. You know, he's not a good defender, but at least... Trying to make plays in that end, especially in transition defense, um, did commit four turnovers and, and again twenty three points sure. uh, on seventeen. No, twenty three points on fourteen field goal attempts is not anything crazy for for the G League, but small step forward. It's the best he's looked down there.
0: That's encouraging. I think obviously that's that's the main point of the five right now is to give Grady that experience to give Grady those reps. Uh, the fact that they one and nine, I'm a little concerned. But as you mentioned, the circumstances are so severe with the injury. Yeah, and like today. It's hard to say anything about it. So you know?
1: Marquise Noel is out with a rib injury. He's maybe this weekend, but out. TBD. Okay. Um, Ron Harper Jr. was questionable for this game with a rib injury. Played and then suffered a shoulder injury. Javon Freeman-Liberty was a late scratch for this one with an ankle injury. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to play with none of their two ways and no point guards. Like Kobe Simmons is the closest thing they have to a point guard. He's more of a score-oriented guard. So yeah. it just, I mean, they, they have so few pieces, and, and the pieces they have left, um, they didn't have Moji today either. He had that scary fall last yeah. game, and somehow is only day-to-day. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's its a bit of a mess down there. So um, positive that Grady was able to perform. Kevin O'Banner had a good game, but there are not a ton of positives to take from that 905 team right now. Uh, the, like, trainers and athletic staff, though, getting a ton of experience.
0: Mm. They are definitely... They're getting their work in. Um, okay, so pivoting from that to a more positive subject. So today is actually the, the 10-year anniversary of the Rudy Gay trade, uh, which took place, uh, you know, in 2013. I mean, I guess that, that's what 10-year anniversary means. Uh, Josh Bloomberg over at TSN wrote a really, really great piece, uh, oral history, talked to uh, a whole bunch of players, but most importantly, Kyle Lowry, talked to Bobby Webster, talked to uh, DeMar. DeMar DeRozan, Dwayne Casey. I saw some Quincy Acey quotes in there. Uh, Landry Fields, which ironically, you know, the funny thing was seeing some Landry Fields quotes about it, and I was like, Landry Fields might actually orchestrate the next version of the Rudy Gay trade Yeah, (laughs) Uh, 10 years later now that he's uh, GM of uh, the Atlanta Hawks. But, yeah, your takeaways, thinking back, uh, both reading that piece and also just thinking back to the trade at that time, what was life for you like in 2013 when this trade happened? Uh, I have a very distinct memory of
1: this. So I was... uh... I had left my job in my previous career and I was out at University of British Columbia trying to, um, you know, pivot into this mm-hmm. career field. I would eventually uh, drop out. Yeah. And so I was at school when they acquired Rudy Gay. Okay. And then by the time uh, this trade happened, I would have been working at the score then. Uh, Uh, so this would have, you know, you can go back and you can see my Raptors Republic reactions to these things still, yeah. because at the score at the time, we could still do RR on the side. So, um, I was not a big fan of the Rudy Gay
0: addition or Rudy Gay fit. No, I don't think, I think very few people were at that time, even though the price was not that severe. It was like
1: Calderon and Ed Davis Davis, and a second round pick that really didn't end up uh, becoming Much. It became Jamal Franklin after being traded a couple more times.
0: Right. But it was kind of like Brian Colangelo's last move to like maybe desperately push this team forward. And it just wasn't the move that they needed. And I don't think it was Rudy Gay's fault specifically. I think it was a bad fit just between him and DeMar DeRozan. Um, And I don't know if anybody thought, I mean, I actually reading the piece, I know nobody thought that they would have this kind of turnaround, but they ultimately did. Yeah. Just going to my memory of this, I was also in school as it happens. I was still an undergrad at this point. Um, and I just remember getting the news, uh, probably through Twitter and then literally getting up, running out of the the little classroom that I was, uh, that I like to study in, you know, in after hours, cause I believe it was like nine o'clock and I was probably getting ready to cover, not cover the game, just watch the game as a fan. Uh, the Raptors were playing the Lakers that night. And I just remember getting out of that room and just running across the halls in one of the study halls of McMaster cause I was so excited about the idea that we don't have to you know watch him on the team anymore just because i had a very <laughs> had a very visceral memory but like the week before that the raptors were playing houston and that was the game rudy gay shot 11 of 37 and i think i covered that one for raptors republic but it was also at a house party at my house at university <laughs> and i was missing this house party and i was just watching 11 of 37 from the field and i was like this can't be it that was my breaking point as like a, we just need to move on from this group and uh, Yeah, Yeah, anyway. So uh,
1: I found my reaction at Raptors. Okay, let's let's hear it. Um, So, I mean, it's longer than this. I obviously wrote up the whole thing, but it's uh, how it concludes is um, Gay and Bargnani were the cracked pillars upon which this franchise stood. They've been removed, which provides the opportunity to build a more stable foundation. Uh, That's going to take time. It's going to take patience. It's not a sure thing. It might be a long process, but based on the early returns, the right man is at the helm Mm. to lead them through that. So obviously high on the Messiah Masai had done, Bargnani trade, and then Rudy Gay trade, not even for the assets they brought back, just that recognition of this isn't it. We got to go in a different direction. Now, obviously, Masayujiri and everyone involved got a big piece of luck that Josh Lewenberg taps into in that piece as well, mm-hmm. which is that the subsequent Kyle Lowry trade that was a, supposed to be a part of that teardown yeah. doesn't happen. Um, so I don't know. What stands out to me from that is two things. And the first is a Colangelo lesson, which is if you're pretty sure you're going to move off of someone in a front office role at some point, just do it because you don't want that person making moves to try to save their job. No. Like this one was like, no. luckily they got out of that and made a good trade for it. But you know, Rudy Gay's contract at that time was considered a negative asset. You, you know, those pieces that came back at the time, everyone kind of thought that was just four guys that made the salary work. Maybe you'll turn around and move John Sammons to a contender. Cause yeah. he's a steady vet. That's about what people thought of it at the time. Um, so, yeah, don't let someone who you might be pushing out the door, you know, make moves that try to grip the door frame. It, it just doesn't make sense. And the other thing is that um,
0: sometimes you get a little lucky. You do get a little lucky. Uh, and the quote there, again, by Josh. So, Kyle, in speaking about the fact that he was nearly traded to New York, That's Kyle right. Lowry said, quote, I'm dead serious. My bags were packed. I had two duffel bags packed. I was sitting in my condo on Lakeshore. My two bags were packed. How many times can he say my bags were packed? Uh, And I was sitting there waiting for my flight info on Porter Airlines to go to New York. I sat there with two duffel bags full of clothes, as much as I could take, ready to go. That's how close it was, uh, quote. And then Bobby Webster, who was assistant GM at the time, and obviously GM now with the Raptors, said, quote, Yeah, but Kyle had his bags packed every day (laughs) that season, which I think is just really funny. Because it's no one expected sort of that turnaround and how quickly that turnaround happened. I still remember that game against... The Lakers, that was Kobe returning back, and the Raptors yep. played a really, really... Amir 32-piece. Amir was awesome in that one. The pick and roll with Kyle was was great in that game. They, you know, were able to get the win at that time. Heavy underdogs, of course. I think they only had, like, maybe nine guys available because of the trade. Yeah. Um, and maybe played, like, seven or something like that. But to go on that run, the fact that they really picked up steam, like, they really had to, you know, um, in, in the words of DeMar DeRozan, I think, to Zach uh, Lowe back then... It was like, we, it was sink or swim, and we out here like Michael Phelps. And yep. that was the team. They had to play themselves into Masai, not dismantling the rest of the pieces. And, of course, that led to just a golden era of Raptors basketball. They set their franchise record that year with 48 wins. They finished the season after the Rudy Gay trade. They were 6-12. and 12. They went 42-20 and 20 the rest of the way. And that's the kind of turnaround they needed to save their season in addition to the trade bringing them a second unit, which they really struggle with their second unit. But that was one of my favorite seasons, man. And um, Man, I just looked yeah. it up. I wrote the score news alert, too, when oh, that yeah? trade happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was your lead? Uh,
1: straight news. Oh, it was it, straight it, news. That, okay. We had pretty Raptors strict uh, editorial guidelines when it came to actual news stuff right. uh, in those days. So, you know, according to a report from Adrian Wojnarowski of Yahoo Sports, et cetera, then yeah, there's yeah. a little bit of analysis. But, yeah. uh, you know, the editorial standard at that point was news first. Yeah. Um so that's fun. Was... There are also still remnants of okay, that trade that. Yeah. with this team. So obviously there are bigger picture remnants of that trade with this team. You didn't trade Kyle Lowry a bunch Kyle of Kyle piece...
2: Lowry.
0: That, I, I love that commercial by the way. I, uh, I love that commercial.
1: A bunch of that was not me acting. Pieces became other things. Um Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster are obviously mm-hmm. still here and, and led that, you know, championship. The foundation, Dwayne Casey and DeMar DeRozan, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, however, we can trace these this trade very specifically to players still on the team. Okay, let's hear it. Now, in that Rudy Gay trade, there were a lot of things. So the Rudy Gay trade, the trickle down as well, uh, the Raptors got Hamad Haddadi in that trade as well. And Who's s- your Hadadi? Yeah. And sent, Iranian legend. Sent yeah. a second-round pick with him for Sebastian Telfair. Uh-huh. That second-round pick got traded again in the future in the Eric Bledsoe, J.J. Reddick, Karan Butler three-teamer, and that second-round pick became a Bucks second-rounder that became Pat Connaughton, who is oh. still on the Bucks at this point. Okay. So yeah, that's that's, right. that's okay. one piece of this trade that's still left, and I went through all of them. There are yeah, only three. Going. Going. The other two, the Raptors, of course, received Quincy A.C., Aaron Gray, John Sam – or, sorry, they received Gravis Vasquez, John Sammons, Chuck Hayes, and Patrick Patterson. Mm-hmm. Patrick Patterson re-upped after that season. Yep. Stuck around until 2017 and left. Chuck Hayes left after a year and a half. Um, John Sammons was turned into after that season. Lou Williams and Lucas Noguera, Mm -hmm. which is great. They both uh, left in free agency when they were done. But Graves Vasquez re-signed after the season on a two-year deal. Mm -hmm. One year into that, so this is summer 2015, the Toronto Raptors traded him for a second-round pick and a first-round pick. Now, with that extra first-round pick, they were then able to. So you can you can do one of two things with this. You you don't get credit for both from this trade, but you can have your pick. They had two first round picks then. They traded one of those with Terrence Ross for Serge Ibaka. Mm, so yep. either it, that pick helped you get Ibaka, or the pick that they kept, the one that was actually Milwaukee's from that trade, became OG Ananobi, mm-hmm. and the second round pick became Norman Powell. Yeah. So obviously Norman Powell stuck with the team, won a championship. They then traded him for Gary Trent. So OG and Gary Trent are still on this team in a way that you can trace back to the Rudy Gay trade.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty incredible, honestly. That's really incredible. I, that's a 10-year trade tree. We're still, like, reaping the rewards from this trade. And honestly, when you think back to some of those deals, especially the one where they made with Milwaukee, it's like front office used to cook. That was, that was yeah. was That's a steal. That was all like a steal in the moment, too. That's not like, oh, in hindsight, you know, the, the fact that Gravis, I think that year that he was dealt, um, was there with Lou Williams, was there with Kyle as well, And they were, like, the biggest issue for that 2014-15 team was just, you know, they were really struggling offensively. Mm -hmm. They obviously pivoted towards a more defensive structure. They signed Corey Joseph to be the backup point guard. Then they brought in Fred. Like, they were fine. And DeLon Wright was in the the Mm -hmm. pipeline at that point, too. So they clearly had so much depth coming in at point guard uh, that they just needed to move off of Gravis. And the fact that the Bucs were like, oh— We'll give you a first and a second. He, and the he fact was coming he off draft, a year where yeah. he
1: averaged nine and a half points and 3.7 assists. Yeah. And they give up a first and a second
0: for him. Yeah. And it's unfortunate what happened with Gravis because he I think he suffered a bunch of injuries. Yeah. And he only kind played of, 26 career, career, career games after that. But it just adds more to the legend yeah. of how good that trade was for Toronto. And I, mean, I think even that,
1: the John Salmons one, like John Salmons gave you about, like he gave you like 1,600 minutes that year. And like Kyle talks really highly of him. I didn't in realize that piece. they looked
0: at him like, they, I think in the piece, they called him Mr. Fourth Quarter. First. Yeah. And I was um, like, "Wow, that's to me." That's not he's how I still
1: Mister pulling out of a contract with the Raptors because God told him to.
0: But uh, that's another great story. Yeah. back in the
1: day. But yeah, I mean, yeah. the Gravis Vasquez trade—it's just like it's so perplexing what Milwaukee would have even been thinking at the time to put two dr- and like, who knows? I I don't have the detail. I couldn't find the details of whether that pick was protected or not. It landed twenty third, so it wouldn't have mattered. But a second and a first for a guy who was a solid backup point guard, even if he hadn't got hurt, was a was a tough one. And then the John Sammons one, that was like a straight salary dump. That was a relic of the old collective bargaining agreement yeah. where John Sammons was fully unguaranteed or only guaranteed for like a million dollars. But you could make the salary match with the non-guaranteed portion. Mm-hmm. This is why, like, if you remember the one su- summer, the Raptors ended up with Luke Ridnour after he was traded like five times. It was just like an accounting move. That's all this was. You picked up Baby and Lou Williams. You got a six man of the year. Yeah. And like, I don't know. You got three years of Bebe as a pretty productive yeah, third center.
0: Decent. Yeah, it was okay.
1: I mean, for John Sammons. A, yeah, exactly. A third string center who lasts on, on your I, roster again, for four years and office, plays for like, three.
0: That's the thing with the front office disappointment now. Not only is it like, okay, people are tired of seeing like a 500 team for three years running. The expectations are so high because everything they touch. I'm not even kidding. Like outside of like probably the Damari Carroll signing. I'm not probably definitely like everything else. They touch turned to gold. Like, even small marginal, uh, uh, you know, trades turn into the biggest advantages. They like signed Biz for that.
1: the, like, biannual exception, and then he yeah. got a four-year $72 million deal after the season.
0: Right. Good for Bismack, honestly, yeah. but that was a tough move.
1: It's not just the trades. And, look, trades get progressively harder, I think, as once you have a reputation for doing those kind of trades. I guess. Everyone, everyone double-checks their answers a little more closely. Um, we've heard some teams through, like, national media people suggest in the past that, like, the Raptors have too high an asking price at times, maybe because they have gotten that asking price mm-hmm. a couple times yeah. in the past. Um, and then the other part of this, though, is like it's not just the trade side; they also haven't done a great job on the player development side. Like there, yeah. there wasn't a Fred Delon Pascal Norm in this last year, and some of that is yeah. having fewer
0: picks, but some of that is also they they've kind of whiffed on yeah. a couple of those. Even that stretch you're, you're mentioning, it's like those guys are all long time. Players who will play at least a decade—that's the- mm-hmm. pretty damn good. Yeah, the and only he- missing that time was Bruno, and Bruno's having a pretty successful career overseas yeah. too. Yeah, so and uh, like that whole
1: Bruno. that whole era of player development and and like finding capable bench pieces or pieces you could then trade. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess JV was a pick from a previous era. He was fifth overall, but Jakob's the only one of those guys who was a top pick. He yeah. was ninth overall. Everyone else was twentieth or lower or yeah. undrafted in some cases.
0: Yeah, and I think going back in those moments, it was like. I remember for the Pascal one in particular I was like, "Oh my god, Deonte Davis is sliding. We should take him." Yeah. Uh these are uh, Scala Bissier was sliding. We should yeah. take him. And they were like, "No, we're going to take this kid that like very few teams." Like I remember speaking to Pascal's representation. And he was like, "There's two NBA franchises that came to actually physically scout our games in New Mexico." Yeah. <laughs> so um
1: you know, I mean, that's part of they've, being they've like done well. a non-major non-major conference yeah, yeah, school for sure, as well. There was also that's we we were off the scent a little bit in Toronto as well, because that year they worked out something like 75 draft prospects. And I was at OVO center like every day, uh-huh. you know, we don't get to see the workouts, but we get to talk to a prospect or two, talk yeah. to JAMA, talk to Dan Trollsman or whatever. But Pascal worked out, they did one workout in Buffalo yeah. that media weren't, Able like to attend yeah. and Pascal and Yaka both worked out at that one. Mm-hmm. And the story goes as people, I think I've written this before, and someone from the Raptors organization, I can't remember who, but told me this, and it's in a story somewhere that like Pascal, so what they would do is they would have a group of six that we're working out together and a group of two that we're working out. And this isn't exactly true, but implicitly it was like the group of two, you're looking at the number nine pick. Those guys and their agents don't want guys playing three on three. You want them, you know, I remember uh, Stefan Yankovic, who's a Canadian who played a high-level NCAA ball, plays overseas now. He was the guy they would bring in to play against like a Jakob Okay. To like see how he hangs against... A big who's not an NBA caliber big, but has some pick and pop, has some size, things like that. So that's going on over here. And then the other six are more in mind for 27th pick, undrafted free agent, et cetera. Mm. And Pascal took it real personal oh, he was that close. he was in the group of six, yeah. not the group of two. And yeah. apparently he just like had this legendary workout. Norm had a legendary workout the, the year prior as well, where um, that one was Rashad Vaughn. He basically like mm. like packed Rashad Vaughn up and was like, nope, you're not a first round pick. Get out of here. Man,
0: the thing about the old days? Yeah. They were pretty great. Um, yeah. Okay, let's uh, let's go to the current day. So, yeah, we, we talked a little bit, uh, at, at least um, up top, about how we wanted to get into the, the in-season tournament. Yeah, but, and we'll um, do a little bit more of it with Mark and yeah, Bobby as well. But, but you know, if you want, let, let's just talk a little Lakers-Suns. Uh, we'll say bucks next for maybe later. Let's talk Lakers-Suns because that game came down to the wire. Um, honestly, it was very fun. Seeing, like, a winner-take-all matchup between Katie and LeBron – the fact that they're both still going at it, um, both with 30 pieces in that one as well. but the And Lakers like with win,
1: superstar teammates, Booker and AD
0: too, yeah. right? Like the, it was cool. It was very cool. Um, And it had the feel of a playoff game because they looked, both teams looked so tired coming down the stretch. There was no transition, no fast breaks, nothing. It was just guys getting in the ball, barely up the court, pass, you know, the eight second count, and then getting into the late game offense. And the Lakers ultimately win it. But a very, very... Uh, well, terrible decision. There's not even any sort of, like, room on this specifically. But, uh, yeah, so Austin Reeves got double team, lost the ball. And in the midst of this, LeBron wisely calls for a timeout. But Austin Reeves had already lost the ball. But since LeBron is literally in the face of the official as he does this, the official actually gives him the timeout call. That saves the Lakers. There's no reviewing a, a decision like that. And that allowed the Lakers to get the ball inbounded properly, get the ball, I think, to, K, uh, to AD, who made two free throws. Uh, but... Huge, huge, huge decision in the game. I mean, your reaction to that, and also your reaction to this game in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, you—that's just something that we have the technology to get correct now. Okay, I don't like. I know we don't want more reviews. We don't want to bog the game down. But a one-possession game where the who has possession is in question, I feel like that should be the same as an out-of-bounds call, where the referees just have the discretion to, like, hey, we want to double-check this one and make sure okay. we have it right. Um, again, don't want to do too many of those, but referee discretion on, like, a, hey, this is a final possession
0: deciding fully call fully got the ball back in an advantage where they were yeah. pretty much guaranteed to score a layup to tie the game yeah yeah
1: it's like how uh in overtime of the sport media game the possession arrow is in the wrong direction uh um <laughs> uh know, yeah you just you should on be on able mind. to you should be able uh-huh. to get that one right i really really appreciated what kevin durant said afterward though right. uh, i think he was on a podcast or like a local radio or something like that and he was like that's one play it's a 48 minute game like mm. they got the call wrong But the Suns aren't looking at that like, oh, we got screwed. The Suns are looking at that. I don't know. Devin Booker
0: was posting on Instagram right afterwards.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, I'm going to take KD as the the voice of the team, the leader of the team. And he's saying, and this is, I think, good leadership. Like, every fan is obviously going to be really upset by that. We would all be upset if it happened to the Raptors, even in a meaningless game. But KD taking that and being like, hey, we can't control a call like that. Mm. What we could have controlled was making one more shot, getting one more stop, yeah. the rest of the game, and not being in a situation where that swung the game. So I thought that was a good piece of leadership from KD.
0: Yeah, um, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. Maybe Emot- he should emotion- beat sometime though. What's that? Said so maybe he should beat LeBron sometime though. Uh, yeah. So your reference there is so Kevin Durant's record against LeBron James outside of when KD was on the Warriors, which obviously you know he won two championships, hit two pull pull-ups, you know, hang poles, hang pulls. He showed he had made two hang pulls over LeBron uh to win those titles. Hang Outside pulls. of him being on the Warriors with Steph Curry, KD's record against LeBron James is uh four and twenty. As in LeBron has won twenty of those matchups, and cool. KD has won four of those matchups. It's it's kind of funny just because like it's one of those things where LeBron is like, even with the second best player of that generation, that being KD, there's still such a sizable gap between those two. And whether you want to say the second-best player of that generation is KD or Steph, I, I'm not really, like, whatever. you want to have the conversation, that's fine. But, like, even between those two, there's such a big gap. So, and yeah, LeBron's like, record is amazing against KD. Yeah,
1: it's not like KD has played for bad teams. No, he's no made he's the, always
0: had stars on his team. He's
1: made the playoffs 12 times. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, his teams have probably made it more than that because he's been out for some of them. He has played in 12 playoffs,
0: Yeah, uh, right. I should say. Of course, LeBron LeBron also beat them. Uh, for LeBron's first title in, in Miami 2012 yep. uh, against OKC. Uh, on the Lakers' side, a lot of Austin Reeves in the second half carrying yeah. the offense. Uh, he was a huge spark plug in the third quarter to get the Lakers out of a double-digit di- uh, deficit. Uh, and then fourth quarter, Austin Reeves was a huge three to to put the Lakers up uh, late in the game. Uh, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that, Austin yeah. Reeves? That was really impressive, man. I think my thought on that is...
1: We have had a whole like generation here of Lakers fans on Twitter, and I'm sure this happened before Twitter, but we see a way more in like the Twitter and real gm and Reddit era, like every player who can dribble a ball who plays for the Lakers at any like Des Moy Hodge is he's next, the Lakers got another one, et cetera. They're finally right with Austin Reeves. Yeah, I think he's. A, I guess they were right with Alex Caruso too, but they lost Alex Caruso, so it's not the same. They were kind they, of right with Tht too. I actually kind of like Tht now. But I mean, whatever. they were like he's untouchable, That's and different. now he's like yeah, you're right, just a guy on the like he's solid. He's a guy. He's, he's a also guy. somehow only
0: 22 still. Um, <laughs> he's gonna be the next auto Porter.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I think they got it right with, with Reeves here, and, and yeah. like they also spent the money to to re up him for like four years at a really they got affordable him on deal. Such a good deal. Yeah, like mid level money. It's. uh so yeah, for as much time as Lakers fans spend, you know, photoshopping
0: jerseys and overhyping guys who never become anything. Yeah. Austin Reeves is right. No, but this is really impressive. And I think that, you know, if every great front office, especially operating nowadays, it's harder to pull off those type of trades that we talked about in the first half of this segment or where,
1: signings, right? Like like yeah. Austin Reeves probably could have got more money than that from someone if all if all he cared about was cashing it.
0: Right. But you don't see as many like clear-cut fleecing type of deals anymore. Mm-hmm. There's not so many, like, dumb, desperate GMs in the league that you yeah. could call up. Not since Vladi left. Basically. Yeah, I think that's just a good inflection point. But yeah. what that really means is then you need a uh, really, really impressive scouting and developmental staff to identify, you know, pieces like Austin Reeves, who was and- not a big recruiter or anything like that, to identify him, bring him on the Lakers, give him that opportunity, and to see him grow in this fashion. Mm-hmm. Like, LeBron's deferring to him in some late-game scenarios in a must-win. And he's actually coming through. So uh, I, I, I hate to hand it to Rob Palenka, but I might have to hand it to Rob Palenka. Man. Goes, I th- good job.
1: I thought, uh, I thought it was also a good night coming off of the conversation we had with Dan Waiki yesterday
0: and your point about Cam Reddish's defense. I thought he was really good. He was. Yeah, he was really good. Uh, zero, then,
1: uh, zero field goals made,
0: but still. Uh, it's, it's fine. It's fine. He's Sir Stanley Johnson for this year. Um, and then lastly, LeBron in crunch time. Yeah. It's funny because when you watch LeBron over the course of the game and you see the final stats, you're like, okay, wow, he, he really made so many plays. But the activity level, it feels like LeBron only turns on the activity when it's absolutely needed. Like, he's just kind of, like, playing a good game, playing the regular game, rebounding and making the right plays, whatever, and just managing the game. And then late in the game, with two minutes left, he goes turbo, hits a big three, goes to the rim a couple of times, hits a mid-range, and it's just like... Yeah, he's just saving it and he's able to turn he's mastered being able to turn it on. Yeah,
1: I agree to some degree. I also think there is at least last night, the LeBron and bench unit was like a huge component. So even mm. if he didn't okay. kind of take over in tradition in like forceful LeBron fashion, he took over in kind of that LeBron and Cavs bench fashion where it yeah. was like uh, up against, you know, Josh Kogi and, and Drew Eubanks, I'm going to find everyone in their spots. And, yeah. and maybe, you know, he did have 11 assists in this one. Um, but also just like, hey, maybe it's two passes away. But everything was just like pretty calm. Also having Jared Vanderbilt back really helped those, those units yeah. as well.
0: Shasta, Shasta Vando. But, uh, I just
1: shouted out two guys who combined for 0 for 6 on the floor. Yeah, you yeah,
0: you have a tight, man. You're watching too much Raptors basketball. Yeah. But anyway, we're going to take a quick break. I'm in your host, Willu. You've been listening to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, we will call up Mark Stein.
3: Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkers podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host Lou. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy. And this NBA Insider is presented by Cores Light. Go from full time to game time. Coors Light, made to chill. We have Mark Stein in once again. Mark, how you doing, man? What hashtag year are you in right now, NBA-wise?
4: 31. Wow. Wow. Proud to say it, too, guys. When I started, I was, I think I told you guys this, I was so, I was so young. I looked like I was about 12. They used to call me (sighs) junior when I started on on the Clipper beat. So I love actually being an old head now. I Uh absolutely love it. Wow. Okay. I'm Udonis Haslam that's what you know you know what that's my role
1: i, I think your usage rate is a little higher than you donis haslam i don't i don't know if haslam would even yeah. put out a newsletter you know
0: i I, I've, I have had the luxury of reading i believe three mark Stein newsletters already in my inbox but uh they're always great keep it coming i know you 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 gave uh the show a big plug you put our logo in the in, in the newsletter you gave blake the you know the shout out for the assist on the on making the list so yeah, Mark, I'm not
4: gonna lie you. to you guys. I truly love I truly love the logo. The logo is the logo is awesome. Um, I'm I'm a big logo guy, so I have uh, I'm quite impressed by whoever made that for you guys.
1: Well the logo predates me, but that's Drake Serial, right?
4: That Sloan? was
0: Drake Serial, who uh is a great artist, uh based in Toronto and also in Portland who was able to help us make this logo. Okay, let's talk about uh you know, the in season tournament games last night, so We already discussed, like, the controversial timeout call. I mean, it was the wrong decision, unfortunately. But I I think that it was still a really great game looking at LeBron versus, uh, you know, KD. Potentially in the last time they played each other in, like, a one-game winner-takes-all. So the stakes were great, too. But, uh, yeah, Mark, what were your thoughts on uh, that game in particular and also just how the in-season tournament is unfolding now that it's reaching its – it's almost reaching its climax, really?
4: Yeah, I mean, the call was a huge disappointment because it just takes the focus off where it should be, which is, like you guys said, it sh- we should be marveling at a nearly 39-year-old LeBron. AD just turned 35 in October. We should just be reveling in every ounce of these guys dueling because, I mean, this it's crazy the way they played on Christmas Day in 2018. And then for one reason or another, one of them missed, at least one of them missed the next 13 matchups. And now this season, we've already seen them three times, which, you know, we want to see these guys as many more times as we can. But I would say in general, this week, to me, it's validated, you know, if I can be uh, somewhat self-congratulatory here, it's validated all my complaints about it. The knockout stage, this is what we've wanted, this Mm -hmm. is what makes it good, this is why everybody is loving this week, because... It's one game, win or go home, and that's different, that's new. We don't have that in the NBA. And, and to me, that's the core of what can make the in-season tournament compelling and different and new. And, you know, the players, I mean, the league has to be thrilled how into this the players are. I mean, you heard Kevin Durant sit in his locker after a game when, you know, the Suns rightfully could have been Fuming. And let's face it, I think Frank Vogel and Devin Booker were fuming. Mm. And KD was sitting there talking about how much, you know, how he's become such a fan of this thing. And I just hope going forward, there's even more single elimination because I think that is what is going to give this thing a life of its own and a lasting
1: place in the league. So what does that look like for you, Mark, the, the more single elimination? Is it expanding who gets through to 16, say, and just having this, you know, knockout stage part run, say, two weeks instead of uh, one week? Is it changing yeah. how teams are qualifying in the first place? Because I know you were a little unenthused with the group stage.
4: For me, it's easy, but it's not my league. But for <laughs> me, I think the whole league, we go to Vegas for two weeks and we just play this thing out. And it's single elimination all the way. And look, the, the league office, these guys are very smart. They know what they're doing. I promise you they have a longer list of concepts and ideas than I do. <laughs> the reason, sorry about that, the reason they didn't go, you know, wh- the reason they didn't go that route is because, look, the FA Cup and the League Cup in England are by no means perfect. What happens in those competitions? the big, the so-called big teams, the teams that are in the Champions League, will often rest guys for those competitions because the best teams in English soccer or Italian soccer or German soccer or Spanish soccer, the best teams prioritize the league championship and the Champions League, and then the cups within their countries take on a lower priority and so they don't always play their guys. And that's what the NBA didn't want to do. The NBA didn't want to make the in-season tournament completely separate and then see potentially teams say, you know what, we're going to rest our main guys because we don't want to risk them getting hurt. So they made group stage part of the regular season to combat that. I totally understand it. But I think to make this thing more compelling, it has to be separate from the regular season. And I just, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take them to get there but if, if you're putting the magic wand in my hand, that's what I would do. Let's go to Vegas for, you know, I don't even think you would need two full weeks to do it. Let's, you know, four seeds based on, you know, standings or however however you want to determine the top four seeds. You know, put the other 26 teams in a hat, you know, figure out the draw and let's, you know, let's, you know, let's do it. You know, let's single elimination, mix it up, east and west, crazy draws, you know. That's what I would like to see at some point. Will you know? But look, they're 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 getting many more positive reviews at this point than negative, so I don't think they're terribly concerned about what I have to say. I think they're pretty happy with year one, and there will be tweaks going forward. But you know, something tells me they'll be more gradual than than I would vote for.
0: Right. Um, I feel like the league definitely owes Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers a lot of credit for this too, because. When people think back to great moments um, in the inaugural in-season tournament run, they'll think about their win against uh, the Celtics. And Tyrese obviously weighing a huge, huge, massive part of that uh, performance. Um, Halliburton in particular, right? We we know that he's already reached an all-star level. But when we're thinking about the next breakout candidates, not just breaking out to NBA fans, but breaking out, as one of those like top tier names, the ones that even casual fans will be able to identify and be able to recognize is Halliburton already in that class in terms of like, you know, he's going to be one of these future household names, even though he plays in Indiana.
4: Yes, because we're now finally getting to see him. And by we, I mean the nation (laughs) at large, I mean, if he's openly spoken about, he was never on TNT before this week. Yeah. So this season with the all-star game in Indianapolis with this cup run that the Pacers are on. And now this is again, something that the league has gotten, right? I don't want to always focus on what I don't like about the in-season tournament. Let's let's <clears throat> all right, guys. I'm still not shaking this, uh, this illness. So apologies for no, no but, Um, um, the Pacers are making, you know, your classic soccer cup run and that was something mm. This was exactly what the league was hoping for. This was one of, their, one of the things that really mattered to them. You know, Adam Silver has spoken about this a million times watching in world soccer that you know, the best teams in the world, they get to play for three or four trophies a year, not just one. And in our culture, in North American team sports, it's just you got to win the championship or your season was a failure. The Indiana Pacers are not a contender to win the NBA championship, but can they win a knockout competition? Can they, you know, they're 5-0 and in the tournament right now. Can they win two more games and, you know, a cup run and a Cinderella championship for Indiana would mean a huge deal. I mean, for the Pacers, you know, the Pelicans too. Zion Williamson mm-hmm. has still never played in a playoff game. He's never played in a play-in game. So I think for those two teams, the opportunity to win this trophy it really is something, but I think a fascinating question, and we don't know the answer to it yet. How will th- wh- whoever wins this thing? How are they going to celebrate?
3: Right. Are they
4: going to celebrate it like they would winning, winning it all? I don't think so. But you know, w- would the Indiana Pacers or the New Orleans Pelicans or even the Bucks would they hang a banner if they win this thing? And conversely, would the Lakers, given that you know they have all these championships and they're trying to. You know, outdo the Boston Celtics. Would the Lakers hang a banner if they win the in-season tournament? And we d- we don't know the answer to these questions yet. But I think that is that is kind of a fascinating element of this.
1: It is uh, the the other thing that has me pretty fascinated, other than the games themselves and how people react to the hardware and and the cash. It's a lot of cash at this point. There's a there's a lot of money on the line every possession. Um, but the other question is, what? Is it going to look like in Vegas, Mark, have you heard anything yet about like what the league has planned for this neutral site, what it could look or feel like when when we get underway tomorrow?
4: Well, I can't answer probably the the foremost question, which I think is what you're getting at here is Milwaukee, Indiana is playing at two local time. What kind of crowd are we going to see at two local time on a Thursday? When the Lakers play you don't have to worry about the crowd. I'm sure you guys have both been to summer league. Yep. You know, Vegas is a Laker town, you know, Lakers summer league games sell out. So mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're, they're going to have no trouble filling the gym when it's Lakers Pelican in the night game Thursday night. But, you know, look, if it was my team and I'm sure you guys feel the same way, if the Raptors were in this, you would be thinking, okay, can we get ourselves to Vegas? Can we, and on short notice, can we travel? Can we get there? Can we, you know, Milwaukee and Indiana are not exactly next door to Vegas. Are, are their fans going to travel? Is, now, I do think Vegas is a basketball town and an nba craze town. And to me, I'm optimistic about the crowd because, again, Summer League has become such a huge industry and su- it, Summer League attracts so many fans. Those are games that don't even count. Team USA plays in Vegas. Those games don't count. This is going to be a game that counts. So I think there will be a crowd, but look, is that crowd going to care about the Bucks and the Pacers? What kind of atmosphere are we going to see? You know, that really is a wait-and-see deal. And, you know, what if we get Pacers-Pelicans in Saturday's title game? You know, is that going to be a bonanza like a Lakers-whoever matchup in the finals? Probably not.
0: Yeah, you know, I think this is an interesting test um, done by, obviously, an American um, organization in the NBA. I know Canada's in it, but, like, you know, mostly an American organization of, like, what Americans choose to do when it comes to fandom. Because you and I, you know, are, are both, like, avid you know soccer watchers. In fact, I actually have one eye kept on Liverpool versus, uh, you know, <laughs> in their match right now. So... Sheffield United, they're playing, which is uh, not an enticing match. But regardless, like, we know that it doesn't matter if, you know, I know you're a City fan. If City fans, if if Manchester City is playing in, like, Ukraine or if they're playing in Turkey or if they're playing in Romania, I guess they haven't really done this for a while because you guys are always in Champions League, fans will travel to those countries. They'll create those atmospheres. I have friends friends who've been watching
4: watching City since the 60s. Okay, yeah, so there you go. go. everywhere when when city has an exhibition tour here in the summer or goes to they go anywhere that city goes and obviously liverpool has fans that do the exact same thing and yeah i mean i mean you guys tell me if the raptors were in the semis you guys would be saying we got to get to vegas i'm sure you would
0: yeah exactly so i think that's what the nba is banking on is that there is this appetite for people to travel. And I think that maybe the NCAA tournament is an example of this, where it's like Duke fans will go to wherever the tournament is that year and they will cheer on their team. And hopefully that's the same case. But you know, you never know. And I guess that is a big question mark for Adam uh, and the rest of the league. Um, if we want to pivot off of the in-season tournament, uh, I want to look at the rookies too because I feel like this time of year, typically we would be looking at maybe some kind of trade speculation, maybe a little bit MVP talk, a little, like, award season and of course that's sort of been dominated now by in-season tournament um chad beats out Wemby for the first rookie of the month uh and you know i, I totally get it obviously chad has been off to an amazing start but i feel like we're almost overlooking Wemby a little bit too you you put in your latest uh, newsletter that he's the first teenager in quite some time if not ever to average 20 and 10 uh for a month as a teenager so your thoughts on just those two rookies in particular in this this class, which, which is looking really promising, by the way.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Chet has been fantastic and the Thunder are winning. That's really what it comes down to. You know, and the league office picks those awards. It's not a media thing. There's no voting on it. But, you know, obviously the Thunder are winning games and the Spurs are in a hellacious losing streak. But, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you cited those numbers because I think it is important to note that you know, the Spurs have no shooting. They're playing Sohan at point guard, which is, you know, experimental, to put it politely. And, yeah. you know, th- th- you know he is not – Wembenyama is, is, is playing with nothing close to the finished article in terms of a lineup around him and is still producing. I mean, obviously the shot isn't where he'd like it to be, but, you know, he struggled shooting the three ball in Europe every season before he came here. So I wasn't expecting him to be a 40% knockdown three point shooter in year one. Anyway, the fact, you know, again, I think the thing about him is that, you know, with all the expectations, he doesn't seem phased by that. And because they're losing a lot of the attention has faded away, which is probably helping him to be honest. But I mean, he's still been pretty, pretty special. And, um, I'm guessing I, I can't, he hasn't been to Toronto yet. Right. I mean, you, what, oh, I, no, I mean, look, no. when, when, whenever he's there, you guys will be, I'm sure trying to make your way to that game too, because he is, it is, it is a spectacle when the man is playing.
0: Yeah. Uh, to, to continue this soccer uh, theme conversation, I was kind of really hoping for this to become like a messy Ronaldo type of thing with Chet and, and Wemby, uh, except in basketball, it's just these two giant noodle people. But uh you know, we'll we'll see. We will see if he gets to that level. But so far, so good for both those rookies. And um, yeah, okay. Um, we've we've kind of run out of time. So
4: real, real, real quick. Okay, since go you ahead. Up Liverpool. Have you have you been to Anfield?
0: I have not. It's a life goal of mine to to go there and and, and probably touch the sign, but probably not touch the sign. You know. You must. It is a it is an absolute cathedral. Amazing, amazing place. Yeah, when they when they fully finish the renovations and uh, expand the capacity to like sixty thousand or whatever, uh, maybe I'll have more room to get in there. But how far in advance do I need to book for tickets? By the way, is is it like uh, I got? Yeah, no, you, Yeah, no. It's it, it is it is not easy. But I think you
4: guys have good practice because what everybody tells me there's no tougher ticket in sports than a Leafs ticket. So
0: oh, I'm so, sure you got. Guys... You know what? Now I understand. Now I understand how difficult it is. Mm-hmm. So Mark Stein, I appreciate you, and we'll we'll call uh, you next week. All right. All right, guys, be good. That NBA Insider was presented by Coors Light. Go from full time to game time. Coors Light, made to chill. Yeah. I, Mark Stein's the only guest that we can get on here where I, he can appreciate that I'm watching Shuffle United versus Liverpool on a split screen right now on my laptop. So, How are they doing? It's a nil nil right now. Uh, Alexis McAllister survived an early injury scare. No one cares about this.
1: Um, I will just <laughs> say, though, you said that it's a, a life goal of you. For you to go, you know that like you could just accomplish that goal with
0: money, right? Like uh, you, do, you just pay money for a flight and a ticket, and then you could do it. I, you know, I hear you. My thing is, when you decide on going on vacation, um, there's a big opportunity cost uh, in terms of just if you choose to go somewhere. You're not obviously going to all the other places in the world. And in terms of places I want to go, I don't just don't think England is like that top of the list for me. <laughs> if I go to England, the number one thing I want to do is check out as many Premier League matches as possible. Uh, and I would love to go to Liverpool. Really historic city. um I hear they got great museums. It's my number one thing to do on vacation in museums. Okay. But yeah, I don't. I just, I just don't know if I really want to go that much to to England in general. But have you? I don't know. Man, what, do you I've,
1: travel for sports? Uh, not really. I mean, I've been, like, around North America, yeah. Like, yeah, I've been to most baseball stadiums. Right, and, and 24. Couple, that was 24, really impressive. yeah. I've been to more than half the NBA, a couple NHL, gotcha. um, only two football, though. Uh, but I've never been to England. So, like, when, I, yeah, when yeah, I've when i traveled know. outside of Canada and the U.S., it's been for
0: non-sports stuff. Yeah, well. Uh, we're going to take this break so I can catch up more on this game. But uh, between your host, Will, you be listening to The Raptor Show and the Sports Night Radio Network. When we come back, we will call Bobby Marks of ESPN.
3: Down the top stories in the NHL
5: every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify,
2: or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host Matt Lou. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy. We are waiting to get Bobby Marks of ESPN on the line, and um, you know I think the coolest thing with Bobby is obviously he's able to break down things that are happening actively in the league but it's like it's hard to access like former general managers and get them to talk about their process their job and um yeah you know those are kind of questions that it's hard to get on record for current GMs and you know things like that but he's always been very open about it so i'm looking forward to speaking with him but uh, how you doing Blake? you're right
1: yeah i'm good man um I'm good. I I think that your point about Bobby Marks is a good one, and and there's still this sweet spot of, you know, he's been in media for a while now. He's been with ESPN for a while, and and people know him for his cap work and roster breakdowns and stuff. But it wasn't that that long ago that he was in an NBA front office. So we talked earlier about the Toronto Raptors-Sacramento Kings trade that happened a decade ago that kind of was a fork in the road for the Raptors franchise. Well, he was in the Nets front office that season. So he would have had a sense of, you know, what did the Rudy Gay market look like? What was the league reaction to the Bargnani trade? What was the league reaction or, or what other fielders were out there on Kyle Lowry? Mm. And then the Raptors, when everything went right, they ended up head-to-head with that Nets team that Bobby Marks had helped put together, and the Raptors oh, took them right. to the final possession. So I'd imagine he has some strong memories about uh, that trade in that season as well.
0: Yeah, we, we have Bobby Marks uh, of ESPN on the line now. Yeah, Bobby, we're, we're in Toronto. It's the 10-year anniversary of the Rudy Gay trade, so... Uh, you were working for uh, the Brooklyn Nets at that time. Was there any, do you have any memories of this? Was there any involvement from Brooklyn, anything like that? We'd love to know.
2: Well, I, I mean, I think I think what I remember most is about that trade, and you guys are familiar with it, is like it could have swung a lot of different ways as far as that where that roster went. Mm. Um, especially uh, the team wasn't playing very well. Um, I felt like that trade kind of gave the team a little bit of life with uh, Kyle and certainly DeMar and allowed them uh, that they, they went on a really good stretch of basketball and we wound up playing them in the, in the first round here. But I, I don't think if they had made that trade, you know, I don't know what happens to Kyle and I don't know what happened with, uh, with, you know, with, certainly with DeMar. And I don't know if there's ever, there's a championship in, in, in Toronto here, but even though, you know, what you got back weren't, you know, all-star level players, it just kind of bounced out the roster a little bit here and, um, you know, give that gave them some, some good, you know, core parts.
1: So obviously everything worked and everything clicked there, but there was a moment, you know, just a couple days really after that trade that it looked like Kyle Lowry was out as well. The reports are that, you know, some mix of salary matching, uh, Raymond Felton, Metta World Peace, a first-round pick, and then maybe an Amon Shumpert or Tim Hardaway Jr. or something like that coming back to Toronto for Kyle Lowry from the Knicks. Um, do you remember much about what those rumblings were at that time? If there was a a market for Kyle Lowry, even once thing Because they had turned things around by the trade deadline. But I yeah. imagine they were still probably like, ah, we should listen on, on, on sales pitches uh, for some of their players.
2: Oh certainly you know who who you know I don't think anybody thought they would be I think they were the 3 seed that year um and Kyle had bounced around um certainly being in uh being in Houston and wasn't the all-star that he eventually uh he eventually turned out to be and um it's kind of you know I don't know about you know similar to what's going on right now because some of these players are a little bit more established here but whenever you feel like maybe either you don't have a chance to win a championship or even a chance to, um, you know, compete for, you know, to get to the second round or an Eastern Conference Finals. Basically, everything is in play uh, for you to to analyze. And um, I remember we could have been, we were involved with Kyle also. Um, I remember being in Detroit um, and it was the second night of a back-to-back and you know basically we had like one first round pick left <laughs> like that was it yeah. like that was our lone um that was our lone pick that we uh that we had involved and in. it was just like how much more do we need you know how much more you know we basically had already gone all in i mean this was 10 years like 10 years ago i think um, we had already gone all in and um I know uh, his agent at the time, Andy Miller, was you know, you know, I think the Knicks were a team that was, you know, certainly interested in him. Um and Messiah had already gone through both New York and, and New Jersey when he was in in um in Toronto with um with Carmel Anthony. So it'd almost be pinning both teams again. But we had already gone, we already had Darren Williams, but Darren had, had struggled a little bit here, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's like, you know, that's the big question that, you know, teams that are so limited with your draft equity, like we were like, how many more players do you actually need? Sometimes you just kind of have to pull your cards away from the table and just walk away here and kind of just deal with what roster you have.
0: Yeah, that would have been, that would have been very interesting if you guys had Darren Williams, um, Sean Livingston and because I was the backup, right? With Sean Livingston and uh, yeah, yeah. And Kyle, or, or or even a mix of two of those guys. Kyle um, would
1: have been playing backup center. <laughs> just
0: just <laughs> going it to it the It would post. have been better than Andre Blatch. He killed us in that series. Uh, yeah, 2013, uh, 2013, 2014, that year, Raptors uh, lose to the Nets in in Game 7. Um, you know
2: who hurt, too, in that series? Marcus Thornton.
0: Oh. Um, he
2: hit some big shots in Game 7. And yeah. You know, that's one These of those you know, it's funny, yeah. I mean, I mean, and I, I'm always saying it because like people always think about, like, well, how do trades come about and how uh-huh. do teams trade trades? And like, it's a lot of it's built on relationships, of course, right? You knowing, you know, who you're comfortable talking with in the, within the within a league. And I remember being in, um, and being in Brooklyn, and, and um, I had a, and I still do have a really good relationship with Pete Del who's now, mm-hmm. um you know, executive VP in in Orlando, but was the GM of the Kings at the time. And really, and they had Marcus Thornton, we had um, uh, Reggie Evans, I think, who we had traded, Jason Terry, we traded in that deal. And it was really just a Tuesday night, early February, three days before the deadline, or two days before the deadline call to just check in and see how, hey, how your kid's doing? Mm -hmm. You know, like one of those, like, just BS type, you know, we're just... Sure. Talking. And then me saying, hey, you guys have any interest in trading Marcus Thornton? You know, <laughs> and that's how it got. And uh-huh. fortunately, you know, Jeff Bauer, the longtime executive yeah. who had Marcus in New Orleans, was now the coach at Marist College, where I went to college. I played football in college. I didn't play basketball, but I had a relationship with Jeff. And picking up the phone the next morning saying, hey, you had Marcus in um, in uh, in New Orleans, what type of player, what type of person he is. And that's really how that deal came about. And that's just, you know, as we go into the next few few months here, you start to see trends as far as who, what teams are more comfortable doing deals, what teams can kind of keep things under wrap. Um, and, um, you know, that's basically how that Thornton deal came about.
0: Yeah, you know how life goes. One day you're asking someone about their kids, and the next day you ask <laughs> about Marcus Thornton's availability on a bio, uh or a trade. Um, my last question about that series was, what was the reaction from – you guys in the front office, but maybe even around the team, when Masai went to the podium and, and, and said, at, at <laughs> Brooklyn. I, I need to hear from I, the enemy side now.
2: No, I, yeah, I mean, listen, you had Garnett and, and Pierce on your team and those guys, you know, <laughs> you didn't really need much more to get you oh, okay. riled up. Yeah. I remember, and I heard, what did I hear tell this story? I think Ian Eagle was on a, a Zach Lowe podcast, and they were talking about that series and we had played, it was this noon game on that Saturday. And yeah, of course. We didn't play game two until, uh, yeah, that was the, 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 uh, Toronto always got stuck with that noon NBA. I think you got ESPN two, it might have been on. <laughs> and, um, we, Toronto didn't play uh-huh. again until game two, uh, that uh, on Tuesday. So we win the game. Um, we're on the bus. You take two buses, as you guys know. And I'm on the bus with, you know, Garnett's on the, in the back of the bus. And then he's just like talking to himself like crazy, like psyching himself up. And the game's already over, and I'm thinking, oh my God, here. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was um, you know, that was one of those series where I said my my wife always tells the funny story where um, because we like hey, like we lose that series, we're probably all gonna get fired yeah. <laughs> because of you know, we all went all in. But game seven, I'm in Toronto, she's home. We our kids were smaller then, and she could not watch the game. She basically went on like a five mile walk. <laughs> around the neighborhood until, yeah. like, the game was over.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's what I did after Game 7. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, I don't think it
1: was walking around. I think that was, uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, that was a, oh, a tough one. So, obviously, this happens, Bobby, in part because the Raptors at some point decide, you know what, let's ride this out. Let's not tear it down. Now, if it didn't work, there were still steps to tear it down, let guys go in free agency, revisit trades later. But something that was so interesting about that era of the Raptors and what took them to a championship was they decided at some point that staying pretty good is the best way to stay close to being great. Now, not every team can do that. You know, people talk about the treadmill in the NBA, but we're seeing some other teams right now start to go on the upswing without having absolutely torn things down to the studs. You tweeted the other day about how the Indiana Pacers yes have sold, but they didn't have to go into that Detroit Pistons style of tear everything down, rebuild. How tough is that needle to thread it's and, and you know i i I wonder if it's something that a smaller market team like Indiana can more comfortably uh accept than than maybe some other teams, but what do you think goes into that how how are some teams like that able to rebuild without traditionally rebuilding?
2: well, the one word I always hate is when people say, oh, they gotta blow it up like what well, like what does that mean <laughs> like what does blow it up mean like just go tear it down to the studs and then you're just basically living through the draft here. Indiana is a unique situation because not many players like the like Tyrese Halliburton are available. To, <laughs> so you basically swap him for Sabonis and you get Buddy Healed, and there's no draft picks involved. It's basically, you know, two all, well, I mean, Halliburton Hal wasn't an all-star at the time, but, you know, two really high-level players here. I think there's a lot of different ways. And I I, I put together this um, document for all our writers, basically, and all the teams that are rebuilding or retooling Heald. Like Orlando is interesting because... They made the trades in 2021, where they traded Gordon uh, Vucevic and Aaron, Evan Fournier, and they basically have lived in the draft. And, but you get Wendell Carter back, and you drafted well. Franz Wagner turned into one of those picks. Um, you get the number one pick in Ben Caro. Um, you add along the way. You know, Jalen Suggs has turned into a, a pretty high-level defender. But at the end, you're you're still sitting on, you know, 25 wins for a couple of years in a row. You know, Detroit is you know the extreme. Like that's basically, they tried to, you know, tried to with cap space in 2020 with, uh, with Jeremy Grant. It didn't work out. They kicked the can on cap space this off season. They've lived through the draft. They've missed out on opportunities. And now you're looking at a team that hasn't won a game since they were two and one. So I don't think you have to tear it down to the studs. Um, I do think you can, you might have to take a little bit of a step back and maybe have a little bit of a lean year. But as long as you have a couple of foundation players, um, in place like, you know, Indiana still had Miles Turner in place um, when they made the, the trade uh, TJ McConnell will still I'm not saying TJ, but there are still some mm. some good players here. And I think that's, you know, with with Toronto. And, you know, listen, nine and 11 were two, two months from the trade down. Everyone's going to be talking about Pascal and OG and, and Gary just because they're on expiring contracts. That's the reality. And they're, they're hanging around the, the play in here. But I said on on um, on Zach Lowe's podcast, I was like, well, why don't why can't they do something on the other way? Why can't you take what you have in your you know keep these these players if you're content, comfortable what the cost is going to be, or maybe maybe move one, but maybe you look at what your expiring contracts can get you back, right? Maybe what what Gary and um, and uh, Thaddeus and you know some of the other you know. Uh, like uh, players that have exp- you know, i think get 40 million dollars and you've got draft equity down the road after that pick is conveyed to san antonio but maybe you go that that other um that other direction because you guys know the track record of Masai, and i'm, I'm just starting to work on my trade deadline and one of the things is i like to do is study what their gm history is and he's traded two first round picks in the last two years mm. whether it be thaddeus in 22 and pertle last year and they were, I think, twenty six and thirty in, in, in mid February here. So I don't—it's not his DNA to basically like just all of a sudden have a, have a fire sale here. But you are probably going to have to make a decision that you're going to probably go one way or another. I don't know if you can kind of go down that down that middle again.
0: Yeah, it's interesting too because that that speaks to what you said earlier about having the relationships, and that that's how these deals are made. It's not just in fantasy where you hit up anybody like. You know, it is a conversation you're calling out Pete Alessandro and you're asking about his kid. It's like clearly Toronto has a good relationship with San Antonio's front office. They've been able to consummate three deals in the last five years. And and you go back to Austin Day for Nando DiColo. Okay, yeah, we can go back to Austin Day. Who's
2: one of the funniest... Nando DiColo is one of the funniest things because every year... There, you know, we get, I get a list of qualifying offers uh-huh. and, uh, he's always on there, yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's over on, now though. I, they finally had it, to renounce him last yeah, year. I remember talking with, um, with Bobby Webster in Vegas, I think a year ago. Um, and I, like, you know, I, I don't like to pry into team business, but I, I still like, I gotta ask you a question I'm like why? And he goes, well, it just turned out to be an internal joke eventually. Right? Like it just, <laughs> it was just, it was just like a fun thing here. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that was like a 10 year thing that was, uh, that was running.
0: Yeah, they were doing it for uh, Blake Murphy's Twitter account. They uh, really did. See, like
1: Bobby would just make comments to me about it, like in about like, "Don't worry, the qualifying offers coming." Yeah, um, it had a had a spot in the spreadsheet for a very long time.
0: It really did. Um, I had a, so I had a different question about this idea of front offices and their decision making. I, I feel like because we're looking back on the Rudy Gay trade, I feel like it was easier because Masai was the the new management that came in. And was able to move off of some of the pieces of the old management, got rid of Barniani, got rid of Rudy Gay, almost got rid of Kyle Larry, which thankfully that didn't happen. Um I I feel like do do GMs and presidents around the league, do they have that power to like tear down their own project? And what's what that perspective looks like? Because um you're basically admitting that what you built did not work out and that therefore you know, it puts you into this position where the owners might look at it like, well, if it didn't work out, why do we still want you to do it again?
2: That's a great point. I mean, I look at, um, I look at Brooklyn for just because I, I work there. Yeah. And, you know, when Sean, my last year was 14, 15, I think Billy King's last year was 16. Um, so when Sean Marks came in, in, in 2000, I think sixteen, like none of that what was done in the past impacted him like he was able to tear it down or do it however he wanted because he could care less if the celtics got the number one pick in the draft or their pick swap conveyed so they're you know like if we were still there like we would be fighting to probably get into the you know how do we get into the playoffs here how do we you know how do we not bottom out here it does present a little bit of more challenge and you look at what the nets in the past in the past couple years where you know, with Durant and Irving, they signed both the guys in 2019, you swing for defenses with Harden, and then basically you, that thing gets torn down again. And Sean is still there. He's still the guy to basically reassemble this. Um, And I think you can do it as long as you basically have a, you know, you know, you know, a plan in place. I think Brooklyn does eventually with all this draft equity here. I think. I think owners look a little bit differently like if um, all of a sudden Masai is going to fire the head. I'm just hypothetically, he's going to make a coaching change. Okay. Well, wait a minute. Like that's, you just hired that guy three months ago. Mm-hmm. Like why are, you know, that's kind of a, um, you know, that that you kind of a question maybe the authority or the decision-making process here. But I do think if you have a track record of um, tearing it down or retooling it and then building it back, I think owners are willing to kind of give you a little bit more more leeway.
0: Yeah, really depends on the relationships once again, you know?
1: Yeah, it really does. And it makes it, you know, it's also you wonder the relationships We were kicking around a little earlier that, you know, Masai Jiri and their front office had such a heater, like where they every trade was a big win. Gravis Vasquez ended up being picks that became Norman OG, mm-hmm. and they hit on most of their picks, even if they weren't high ones. They seem to win every trade. Um, does that get into the minds of other execs around the league? Like, Like, are people checking their work extra closely if – a, an opposing front office has had a run of success. Like, like we talk about it in baseball all the time where if the Tampa Bay Rays ask for one of your prospects, just walk away from the table. Like you don't <laughs> want to give them up. Is, is yeah. there an element of that uh,
2: in the, in NBA circles? Yeah. I always joke that, you know, if Danny Ainge or Mike Zarin in Boston ever called out. <laughs> if I saw 718 come through, I would never answer the phone, you know, just based on, uh, the, you know, going through the, the, the ball, that Celtic deal with, uh, with those guys. I listen, I think, I think deals get done because there's teams are it's teams are trying to it's supposed to be a win win for both sides. I think teams don't answer the phones, or I would say, are reluctant to do deals. If teams always think they're they're going to try to one up you, like I think that's you know I think that's. I think that's the reality as as far as you know going you know good business listen if you have a really good front if you think you have a good front office and you trust your scouts and your top people here and your cat people and all the people around then you have a good comfort level of either walking away or doing the deal doesn't matter if it's the, the jerry kraus you know when he was still alive in chicago or some of the greatest you know executives out there here if you're looking for something here now if, if, it, be, if it becomes a trend like if you're like basically oh for four and like, you've just traded away like four top prospects, you know, using the baseball analogy, then you're thinking, well, wait a minute, mm. they must know something that we don't know. <laughs> like their <laughs> thought process is a little bit different here. So I think, I think you're open for business for, with, uh, with all 30, 30 teams. Um, doesn't matter if you're the Knicks and the Nets trying to do a deal. I think it's just a matter of if both teams are, you know, if, if there's a win-win for both teams.
0: Yeah. Bobby, this was uh this was really great. I appreciate your time. And, um, it's great getting your insight on how front offices look, work, you know, and, and because I think that's such a perspective that is always hidden behind quote-unquote league sources, but having you here to talk about it was great. I um,
1: uh, also really appreciate you tweeting out the actual financials of every step of the in-season tournament and the note that two ways only get half the bag. So if <laughs> no, you're... That's wrong. Yeah, that's wrong. I know. I no, thought this was so going to be like... You know, to think back to the Raptors championship shares, like Jordan Lloyd Christmas at the end of at the end of June, I thought this look two hundred fifty k is still two hundred fifty k.
2: No, but they needed hey, the when most. When you're making when you're making five hundred fifty nine thousand dollars, two hundred fifty k is a nice little chunk of change. And I said it on there like I I, I added two ways just to make the, the the percentage look a little bit better here. But you know, listen, fifty percent of the the, the whatever one hundred twenty players that were still left make below three million dollars, which yeah. I for in the real life world, that's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but for the NBA life here, um, you know, that's yeah, that's that's a a nice uh, a nice uh, nice little number.
0: Yeah, just just next time ask your boss when, when was the last <laughs> time you got a fifty percent bonus at the end of a year. So <laughs> uh,
2: mid year. How about how, how yeah. mid year early December bonus, man? They don't have to wait to the end of the year. That thing's gonna be in their, their checking uh account by I don't know, December fifteenth,
0: probably. It's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be the best work party ever because it's also in Vegas, and if you get the money, you're you're right there at the <laughs> casino. But uh, yeah, seriously, thank you for your time, Bobby.
2: Thanks, guys,
1: appreciate it. All right, but by Bobby the way, Marks. will uh, yeah, Bobby Marks of ESPN. Sorry, I, I just had a, a note that I was too excited for. Obviously, okay. uh, so obviously for these two-way guys, two hundred fifty k bonus on a five hundred sixty thousand dollars salary. That's like almost fifty percent of your salary and bonus. Uh, for LeBron, it would be less than one point one percent bonus to where like if you were in an actual job and your your like boss offered you a 1.1 percent bonus you would take it but like if you made 100k that's a bonus of a thousand bucks yeah uh still nice but like (laughs) for comparing lebron to these other it's it's pretty amusing
0: no it is funny because for obviously as you mentioned for so many players it's such a big deal lebron makes 580k per game yeah so this is literally less than your average game
1: well, Before no, because LeBron. he gets his regular uh, – yeah, I guess I know, the finals but... would be because the finals, you don't like. You don't get paid. These guys who make the finals, even though they're playing 83 games, are not getting paid yeah. eight, one extra 82nd of their salary. So, actually, yeah. LeBron is the rare example where he'll make less in that finals game than yeah. he would in a regular season game. Still more than zero, though. Yeah. Um, by the way, one other note. Uh, we had asked Mark Stein about what the uh, in-season tournament neutral site is going to look like. The NBA, on their Twitter account, posted the court – it is uh, red around the edges, red for the stripe down the middle, and blue on the the parallel sides. It's what? it looks like a Detroit Pistons court. I know I'm not supposed what? to turn my no, laptop no, around to the it, yeah. screen anymore. Oh, I thought um, you were say
0: red and black because you know it's Vegas. No, red but. and blue. It, it's a, it looks like a Pistons court, right? That looks like exactly like a Detroit Pistons season tournament court. Adam Silver. A.K.A. the Henry Kissinger I, of 2023. I don't do that.
1: Don't don't go there.
0: Oh, no, that's what he did. That's I what he know he went. did. Where he went? I know he did. Uh, uh, Adam Silver needs a break. We need a break. Yeah, we need a break. Okay, we're gonna take our last break of today. I've been your host Willie. You've been listening to the to Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, let's check in on the opposition and bring in Amy Otterberg.
3: Most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there, real Kipper and born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to the Raptor show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Jim Lua. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy, and we are joined once again in front of the program, Amy Otter, Miami Heat analyst. Amy, what's going on?
3: i will i'm happy i'm still a friend yeah mostly
0: <laughs> no it's okay it's fine that you switch sides you know it's we see the miami you're already rocking the gear you're fully you know uh in in heat culture you're embedded uh no jason jackson this time that was a memorable oh. appearance uh, oh you
3: will be i'm sure you'll be hearing soon oh you know, what? Jackson, is that the arena tonight you know that voice track?
0: oh okay I, yeah. I, I here's the thing though.
1: You can leave Toronto for Miami and still be on good terms with Toronto, Mm. as Kyle Lowry is. He said earlier today, you know, reiterated, "I'm retiring a Raptor whenever that end comes." Amy, this is year eighteen for Kyle Lowry, and I know that we got used to him aging pretty gracefully, having a later peak than we normally see from a guy. But he is almost thirty eight years old in year eighteen. I know his role shrunk, but he's. Still producing for this Miami heat team how's his season been so far?
3: yeah so first I consider myself lucky that I have gotten to follow Kyle for a majority <laughs> of his career and I told him that uh about a month or so ago that uh yeah I'm kind of kind of creepy Kyle and follow you around um I think so many people watching in, in Canada right now truly understand this when you say Kyle is he's to me just uh, kind of a genius when it comes to approaching a season, Uh, starting off the season really as understanding that he's such an important voice and such an important role, but wanting to let everybody else also try to find those. And, And so, it's no secret that Miami has started off the season with a bit of an injury bug. And just like last season, Kyle's had to play a lot of minutes to get started. He's not quite where he was last year in terms of his minutes for a game this time last year. But again, Kyle started off, I think, the season like really, again, distributing and trying to just be a voice and get things settled. And now I'd say in the last month or so where Tyler has gone out, Bam's been in and out, Jimmy had an injury uh, where Kyle's really also stepped up with production, and at the same time, uh, Spo always talks about the depth being the life blood of this team, and, and Kyle kind of has his hands all over that because he's in everyone's ears all the time. And so, again, this is a guy, and you all understand this. You look at his, we talk about his numbers, we talk about his stats. Mm-hmm. I will still say he's the growth because yes, championships, numbers, I agree. all those things, but. We know that, thank you, we know that the impact that Kyle Lowry has um, on any team he's a part of is so much more than the box score, and here it is again, where he's just such an important part to this locker room, and really, when we're in tight games, I know I feel better when he's on the court, because he knows how to manage a game.
0: Yeah, and Kyle knows where he is in franchise standing, because he is essentially calling his own shot uh, about... (laughs) You, know, you will re-sign me for a one-day contract. That's right. He's already negotiated ahead of time that he is coming back to Toronto whenever he's done, which is probably not anytime soon, uh, that he will sign the one-day contract, retire as a member of the Raptors, which is only right, and then also, you know, that his jersey's going to be retired, which is a is an absolute lock. Like, I know that that's not reported anywhere, but, I mean, we all know. I mean, even Goran Drago who came back in that Kyle Lowry trade, I think he wore seven for Miami. Then I wore seven for Toronto, and I don't think anyone else will be wearing seven for Toronto for a very, very long time except for that one day when Kyle returns. Um, another good question here that that Blake put in, but how's Kyle media-wise? Because, I, you know, you remember in Toronto, Kyle was like a, you know, uh, feisty, let's say feisty, sometimes combative. Yeah. I have videos saved on my phone of him giving me a hard time. Yeah, g- you know, giving the middle finger at every opportunity to us, <laughs> on camera, off camera mostly, but sometimes on camera. You know, Kyle's kind of like that. You know, he plays it that way. Uh, how how is that going in Miami? Is, is he is he getting soft now? What is he doing now? Now that he's in year eighteen,
3: I'm, I'm not going to confirm or deny the trend. Of, <laughs> <laughs> but what I but what I would say is, yeah. I, I think that you know, in eighteen seasons, Kyle's at least earned enough respect that the man's showing up to do his job, right? Okay. And. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Kyle, I think he, that's it. He's, he's focused. He wants to do his job. He answers questions. He's professional. He sits there and, and answers the questions, whether they're tough or they're a little bit not as tough because it's after a win. But I think Kyle, everyone understands who Kyle is, right? And if you don't, you find out quickly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so Kyle on the court, um, it, this season is pretty fascinating in that regard as well. Amy, you, you said he's, he's a game manager at this point. He's helping put people in you know, positions to succeed more. And it's fascinating statistically because he has like a Patrick McCaw level usage rate. It's by far the lowest of his career. It's the lowest assist rate of his career because he just doesn't have the ball in his hands a ton. And yet the highest true shooting percentage mark of his career. So Kyle has actually in this small role been monstrously efficient Um Maybe that looks a little bit different tonight, Amy, because there's no Bam, no Tyler Hero. There's a little bit more offense spread around. It's but against the
0: Raptors, let's be honest. It's against the Raptors
1: <laughs> as well. But how has yeah. that looked, Kyle, in this smaller role? Has he become more of like kind of a, I guess, a, a spot-up specialist and secondary handler for this Heat offense? Well, I, think, I don't
3: think the the team necessarily wants kyle to have the ball in his hands to win games all the time again i think he's out there because he's he orchestrates so much he gets the ball where it needs to go with at the time at times when you look at our at miami's late game situations when tyler's out there he's your high usage guy jimmy i mean Obviously, you want the ball in Jimmy's hands late. Our offense does go through Bam when he's available. And so and now it's Jaime Hawkins Jr. who is the closer for Miami. So, I mean, I don't think that the role for Kyle is to take the ball and, and score and make everything happen. That being said, to your point, he's been shooting the ball really well. But part of that again is off of great catches, and uh, that Cleveland game, he was like five for five from the three in the first quarter, and it was it was for me it was really cool because like it yeah. was like oh here you know here he goes it's gonna be a night for Kyle and you certainly appreciate those when it happens. I think it's Kyle like putting himself and and really this team putting him in positions to be successful when he has the ball in his hands, but I do appreciate when he's off ball too at times uh, because again going off of screens setting screens and by the way. We do not talk about Kyle being a great rebounder enough. I mm. mean, if you would watch his rebounds and the toughness and the way he gets his backside and the big guys and he goes in there's in battles, and that's why you see guys like Jimmy Butler like catching like receiving football passes at times, because between Kyle and Kevin Love, who battle so hard for rebounds, yeah. they're such great passers in the outlet. So um, again, he, he just impacts winning with or without the ball in his hands. And this year, you're seeing it at times without the ball as much.
0: Yeah, you remember, that's how Kyle got Pascal's career started, was throwing him those long outlet passes and just telling him, you just run, buddy. That's a, You just get out there and run. And Yeah, I mean, look, Kyle, obviously we know he's so committed to winning. Um, the whole organization for Miami, though, is committed to winning. Yes, that's right. It's another heat propaganda uh, segment here. It's, <laughs> tell us about Jaime Hawkins Jr., uh, the rookie coming in, instantly making a really nice impact, and even, as you mentioned, uh, being on the floor for for close games, which is so rare for rookies, especially in a winning program, but he seems to have stepped in and fit right in. Uh, tell us about, uh, you know, Triple J, I guess.
3: Yeah, so first of all, let me just say, I do watch your show when I'm not on it, so I appreciate oh, that wow. you um, speak nicely of the Miami Heat when I am here. <laughs> <laughs> um Jaime Ocas Jr. Yeah. has been an excellent reminder that there are so many different ways to approach the draft. Mm. Um, yes, I understand the ceiling and potential, and that's what a lot of teams are going for. And if the opportunity arises, but there's something to be said about right now. Um, finding a guy that can fit into the way that you run and staying in college for four years doesn't have to be a bad thing. It doesn't have to be looked at as a negative. And he's kind of representing all of that right mm, now. Okay. This is a guy that has earned, immediately earned the trust of not only his staff, but his teammates. I mean, he literally has played 171 fourth quarter minutes, which is top five oh. in the entire NBA for wow. anybody. Wow. And yeah. because his maturity, his he's played in big games at UCLA. He's played in games where if he doesn't play well... His team's not winning, so he understands what it means and to have the ball in his hands at times. But when you look at the last seven games, and I mean, double-digit scoring, he's averaging 18. He's shooting 56% from the field. His numbers are almost the same, and I understand it's a small sample size, but when you talk about the jump from college to the NBA, bigger, faster, stronger, and here's Jaime Hawkins Jr. out there making plays, making reads, if you watch his feet, his feet on both ends of the ball are are awesome, like they're immaculate, and then again, I mean, he's throwing dimes to Bam, I mean, he, when Jimmy doesn't start the fourth quarter, and he in the first four minutes goes off on like an eight-o 0 run, I think it was, he scored eight points right away, it's like there's this, oh, okay, you can maintain it out there. And we. I can't believe that we call him a rookie. He doesn't play like one. And I, I hope that um, it's almost representing guys who do decide to stay, to develop, to learn, and to grow in college. Um, because, again, when you watch him play, it's not just, he's not just getting lucky and hitting shots. He's putting himself in positions to get great shots. And his team and his staff has has um, totally respected and trusted him.
1: And maybe Hawkes is the answer to my next question. Because the Heat will be without Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero tonight. Uh, they'll also be without Haywood Highsmith, who's been a really nice defensive surprise. Uh, Drew Smith, RJ Hamley, they've got a bunch of injuries tonight. Um, they do have Caleb Martin, who was questionable heading into this one. But they have managed when, we, even without... Tyler Hero and no Bam out of bio. They actually have a plus eight point six net rating as a team. Now a lot of that's probably Jimmy Kyle guiding a bench unit or whatever. But how have they been able to stay? And I'm I'm more curious on the defensive side, really, given Bam's absence there. How have they been able to stay afloat um, without Bam? You know, yeah, I know they went one and three without him, but the the per possession numbers are pretty strong.
3: Yeah. I mean, so when you go back to your development and I know it sounds cliche and funny, but I know that the Raptors feel like this at times too, right? Where they have brought guys into their systems. And, and how about Duncan Robinson? Like that's mm-hmm. another guy out there. Oh yeah. We're going to ask you when about you him. Play, yeah. Okay. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, when you play in a system and you understand the philosophy and like what's institutional, you have to be able to get guys in and out. Is it sustainable to to continue to compete without two of your top three guys? I'm not sure, right? In the NBA, you have to have great talent, but you also have to have guys that understand their roles and work together. So uh, when you look at not having Bam, I mean, you got a guy like Orlando Robinson who's in his second year at the Mm -hmm. Heat, but... Stepped in and, and hey, I thought in the first, especially those first couple minutes against Indiana, he held his own against Miles Turner. He made some really nice, just like clean drop steps on the other end. Kevin Love has been a wonderful addition to this organization. Again, a guy, I think everyone understands like you don't go in there, and just make, make up for Bam. One person doesn't mm-hmm. fill those shoes. One person doesn't fill the Tyler Hero shoes, but you have a bunch of guys that understand what's being expected, the way that they want to operate, and I do think getting Caleb back has been huge defensively for Miami, especially when they want to get into the zone. Um, Listen, the defense hasn't consistently been where where the team would like it to be, I think, but also you have to give yourself a little bit of grace in that (laughs) you've had 13 different starting lineups through the first 20 games, and that affects both sides of the ball.
0: Yeah, the heat just keep on rolling no matter what. Um, it's unbelievable because I think coming into the offseason, it was like, well, coming out of the offseason, it was like, well, you know, they didn't get Dame. They didn't get the pivot to Drew Holiday. Um, they've lost pieces like Max Struis and Gabe Vincent, who have done fine, I guess. I mean, Gabe has not been healthy for Vincent the Lakers. Vincent looks nice, though. Strews looks, yeah, obviously he had a great quarter <laughs> against the Raptors. He had like a 20-point quarter against the Raptors. Um, but they just keep moving along. They get pieces, you know, that... Um, are new to the organization. They're able to sort of fold them in. I mean, and then they get pieces where, look, Duncan Robinson's been a successful player in the past, right? He came on the scene pretty strong, but he's been kind of lost. Like last year, there were DNPs for him. He was averaging like six points a game. Um, Didn't look that confident throughout the course of the playoffs. Really started to play himself back in the rotation, but who knows? If that's going to be real, who knows what the Heat are going to do? And this year, every time I watch the Heat, I come up so impressed by Duncan not just because, obviously, he's a great three-point shooter, but he's so confident in how he gets those three-point shots, and he's so decisive when he cuts back door, when he makes the you know the next pass out. He understands exactly how to play off of that gravity, and he just overall looks really confident. Tell me about his re- resurgence this season.
3: So Duncan actually missed a good chunk of last season with a hand injury, mm-hmm. and I think for anyone, especially when you are... Uh, when you pride yourself on your shooting ability, that's tough, right? But we certainly saw him come really come alive in the playoffs. But what, what the thing about Duncan is, he's—I I think we got to stop calling. Even though I do believe he's one of the best pure shooters on the planet, we got to stop calling him just a shooter because now he's finding success, pulling, putting the ball in the deck. Yeah, he's getting baseline cuts, weak side cuts. He's—he's he's such a smart basketball player. Right, like he studied the game and he's his IQ is off the charts, uh, but Duncan has spent a lot of time in the gym in the off season. You hear one on one and two on two, obviously because when you're kind of pegged as a shooter, you've got to learn to put the ball on the ground as a counter. But then also defensively, right? Mm. It's like you because you're getting attacked all the time when you're in those isolations, sure. and so just continuing to drill that every off season. And so while I think maybe a lot of the outside world is surprised um understanding the work and not just the the hours but what what he's been doing which is developing all these things i mean he is a full package nba player and by the way Duncan's six 67 like we forget people yeah. forget that too i mean he's a tall big player and so I know at the beginning of the season it resonated with me when Duncan talked about he's at his best when he's playing with a sense of clarity and freedom and that is exactly what we've seen um off this opening tip to the season if you will when you look at the first 20 games he's been off the bench he's had to step into the starting role with Tyler Hero out so it's going to be really interesting when Tyler makes his way back to see um where duncan fits in what type of minutes he gets but really i think this is a guy that fully understands whether he's starting or not he's gonna get his shots he's gonna get his looks
0: yeah
1: yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's a and I think you know Grady Dick at last update won't be with the Raptors tonight. But I do think guys like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero are helpful examples to totally. look at. You know, especially someone like obviously Tyler Hero came in a little bit more well-rounded and he has more you know natural playmaking to his game. But hey, if you are labeled at some point in your career, and Grady's not labeled this yet, it's too early. But if you are a specialist, how do you succeed in that role, and how do you round out your mm-hmm. skill set to be the best? version of that possible. So um, I think that's a helpful example for him to look across from uh, last one from me, Amy. I know we got to let you go here. Uh, probably Orlando Robinson starts tonight based on what they did last game. They, ha- they haven't announced yet, but Haywood Highsmith also hitting the injured list. Now, um, What does Orlando Robinson brought to this group? He- he's not, uh, I don't think a name. A lot of Raptors fans will be familiar with just yet.
3: Yeah, no, and and certainly I think Heat fans have because he's now he's in his second year and he had a really good season last year in terms of, again, plugging in, but then also spending time with the Seuss Falls Sky Force, which is like opposite ends of the 905. It's not just down the street, but I am such a fan of Orlando Robinson because I remember just, if you from beginning of last season to the end of last season, the amount of work he put in, I mean, just physically, I mean, he worked himself into ridiculous shape. But the reason what I really appreciate about Orlando is when you talk to him, he has no shame in saying, like, Bam bio is the goal. He said that. That is the goal for mm. me. That's what I strive for every day. But just taking the licks and practicing and learning it in real time. But then when he gets in the game, he doesn't, he doesn't, overthink everything and he's not scared of the moment the moment doesn't rattle him so when i say that i mean when you look at the start uh, last game against indiana miles turner you got this team that plays with the pace that if you don't the only way to figure out is to actually get out there and play it it's from the opening tip and he's out there and he's defending he's blocking up passes at the rim He's setting great screens. And then as he's hit a couple wide open threes, because everyone should probably try to do that when you're on the court in the NBA, at least be a somewhat of a threat from the three. And he happens to be a center who had no problem going two for two, I believe from long range last game. And then just catching drop set. He uses a dribble to give him that extra second to collect himself. Like he never really plays like he's not prepared or that he's kind of freaked out if you will by the moment so whether he starts or he comes off the bench or whatever his numbers called tonight i'm always confident that he's going to be prepared mentally which is just as important as physically
0: there you go amy autobird appreciate you we miss you up here and uh hopefully next trip to toronto uh you'll make the trip because uh it's it's always great seeing you around
3: yeah but also feel free to uh, negotiate that two games the last two games of the regular season i'm considering a house party I'm just oh really?
0: Out there. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. We will be we'll be speaking with the boss. You know
1: what we got to root for now, though, is not only those two games at the very end of the season, but also the Heat and Raptors potentially playing in the play-in, so that oh, we
0: could sell it as a three-game yeah, trip. Listen, the last ga- the last team I would ever want to see in my life in a play-in scenario is the Miami Heat. But uh, that's enough heat <laughs> propaganda. Oh my God! What? Who? What, what have uh, we become? All right, Amy. I thank will you. Keep
3: you honest. Will. thanks, guys. Great to see you again. I
0: right, appreciate you. Amy Ottobert, uh, you can catch her on the heat broadcast um yeah i did not find a way to squeeze this in but uh you talking about the noodle thing yeah that's right yeah <laughs> you, you got a way to squeeze this in no oh, just okay. that duncan robinson is a spokesperson for an asian noodle brand yeah that's right so duncan robinson is an asian noodles ambassador aka he's noodles to me because uh i believe it's like a i think we actually talked to Clement chu about this testing yeah yeah it's asha noodles yeah,
5: they were actually, a sponsor was right, yeah. of the CCYA Celeb Classic. That's right. That's right. And he, Duncan was... Robinson, not to break any news, but Duncan Robinson was almost going to participate yes. because of this sponsorship. That would have been pretty incredible. But I think because he cause the heat went to the finals, like he needed a summer off. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: you know what? <laughs> that's, that's what happened. That's a, that's, a great, that's a great little excuse for why he didn't come out to support Asians. Just kidding. Uh, yeah. Speaking of supporting Asians, is Leon the Hat Guy Asian? Yes. Oh, he is. Okay. Yeah. So. Alex, you can you can go ahead and plug this. Man, while I Alex,
1: put this on. Here, here's a promise: if you get me a rare, exclusive gear like that, I will at least look up the person who you got it from when you put it in the rundown. I'm just an ungrateful person.
5: It is now, Alex, just... that size eight hat wouldn't fit yeah. even my giant head, but <laughs> uh, yeah. put 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 the camera on Will as I speak for him. Yeah. Um, that is a yeah, as he you mentioned, you that's a how Paul hungry Hayman are you? for him. That's a how hungry oh. are you hat? Um, it's a size eight New Era and somehow fits him perfectly. Mm. Which is incredible. So shout out to Leon at Leon in the Lab.
0: Got you. Leon and again, there's Chen. only five of these ever made. Who are the five people getting this? Uh, Leon has
5: one. Yeah. So he made it. You, myself, Jordy, the infamous Jordy, Serge's manager, Sergej manager, Serge manager, and I'm dropping one off to. I'm dropping them off to Jordy tomorrow because he's gonna go see Serge ah. in Munich. Yeah. Wow. I'm also dropping them off a signed copy of Prehistoric, and I said, I want Serge Ibaka topless on his bed on IG holding the book. Do you guys uh, think that's asking for too much?
0: I mean, it, it is Sergeant's <laughs> favorite activity. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> it's like asking him to shoot a mid-range jumper and make it. Like, I think he's, he's got that <laughs> in the
1: bag, you know? I'm, yeah. I'm trying to figure out a way to answer this and keep the show wholesome. So, uh, I, don't no I, do that. I, I mean, look, we were just talking about Jaime Hawkes Jr.'s immaculate feet, So maybe we right. don't have to keep it wholesome with, uh, with Serge's <laughs> Instagram content I had either.
5: To, Blake, I had to Google Orlando Robinson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, did Blake just accidentally
0: like, mispronounce oh, Duncan he, Robinson? He, no, he started <laughs> no, it's last game. It's different. That's um, why he got straight to the magic. He's Orlando it's, Robinson.
5: It's yeah. not fair that Miami has a player named Orlando, <laughs>
0: Yeah. They just keep, like, respawning new guys. That's the thing with the Heat. That's Honestly, like, putting aside all the Heat culture stuff, that's the number one thing that I admire about their organization is Mm -hmm. that they're able to do that year after year. Like, you you make the comparison of, okay, Grady can study a guy like Duncan. And I I totally agree. If Grady turned into Duncan Robinson, what he is right now, uh, I'd be actually really, really happy with it. A, because that would fit the team perfectly, but also B, Duncan's become a really good player. The thing is, Miami got Duncan Robinson out of, like, D3 or whatever. Like, where, he, where was he playing? Like he was playing D3 at some point. He went to Williams and then went to Michigan. What is that? That Williams uh, is a cafe near McMaster University. Shout yeah. out to there. It's, uh, but,
1: it's certainly not as uh, rare as what was yesterday, College of Florida, Sarasota Manatee
0: yeah, for right, uh, Des Moines Hodge. Right. Des Moines Hodge. Yeah, That's they turned Des Moines Hodges into actual rotation players who then appear in the finals. So, I, Please, I think, It's, it's Des Moines Hodge. Gram- gr- grammatically,
1: when it's plural, <laughs> Demoy Hodges. God damn it. Um, out to Alex Fudge as well. All Winning right. for
0: Alex Fudge. All right. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's time now for Between the Lines it really brought is. to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Uh, the Raptors are three and a half point favorites tonight, hosting the Miami Heat over under set at 220. If you're wondering how the Raptors are favored against a team that is better than them, well, Bam Adebayo is out. Tyler Hero is out. Haywood High Smith is out. Uh, RJ Hampton, Drew Smith, yeah. and Cole Swider are all either out or with the G League. Uh, these <laughs> Are real guys that's what
5: they're serving the, in the <laughs> platinum
1: lounge man <laughs> the uh, the Raptors without uh, Grady Dick who's with the 905 the yeah. two ways and Christian Coloco as yeah. usual Uh, the big two big matchup notes for you will the Raptors remain the number two offense in transition the Miami Heat are the second worst defense in transition even though mm. they're pretty they're a pretty oh, average okay. team defensively overall but they really struggle in transition a part of that is they give up the worst field goal percentage at the rim in the half court, we know the Raptors can't really get there. But if you get there, the Heat give up the best field goal percentage. On the other side, uh, the Heat will take the most mid-range shots in the league. They're a good mm. jump shooting team. Yeah, fifth and three-point field goal percentage. We know Kyle, Jimmy, Duncan can all get into the, those mid-range bags. That is something probably
0: the Raptors just let them fire with, right? Uh, you, we'll see. Look, listen. Every time Raptors play Miami, it is like a war. It is hand-to-hand combat, typically. Uh, there's obviously this extra spicy element of Kyle, you know, seeing his ex, but also just these games, I think the Raptors have done a good job of finding the right matchups. You know, I, I said this also when they played uh, more recently against the Knicks, and I thought the Raptors had a good matchups against the Knicks. However, with the coaching change, it does change up, you know, there's no guarantee that they're used to the same matchups. Having said that, I need OJ and OB on Jimmy Butler. I think he's done a good job guarding Jimmy Butler over the years. And I do feel like if you keep him mostly quiet and your second unit comes in and does something other than uh, wet the bed, really, um, I think you actually have this matchup in hand. Having said that, though, the Raptors have been so inconsistent. You don't really know what problem the team's going to have every given night.
1: Uh... You have a
0: good inkling of what's going to happen, but they have a variety of different issues. So it's hard to just, like, go all in and say, you know what, this team is going to win because of this matchup. Because sometimes it's not even about that. But in any I, case, I like that with the, Miami having this many guys out, like how do you not back the Raptors? I, I like that the good version of that is like, well,
1: the team can play any style, whatever the other opponent's strength is. You know, okay. you, can, yeah. you can move it to, to right. neutralize that. And with the Raptors, it's like, yeah, whatever the other team's weakness is, we're going to be bad at that thing tonight and, and give it back to them. Um, yeah. Look, the Raptors have played down to people's levels at some point. This isn't that. The Miami <clears> Heat are yeah. still a, a good team. So I think this will be a fun one. That was between the lines. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Um, man, before we go, what do you think? you think Kyle's putting up a night? He, he did up 28 not too long ago. Um, Maybe, I guess. This I is know. not like a pick. I just, it, do Here's you think thing. Kyle finds that extra gear or is he in full chill mode? What's a Kyle Larry
0: night? Because a Kyle Larry night in this context might be he gives three great quotes um, to the media. He calls Josh Lewenberg short, which he loves doing that. He then Yo, takes my three charges room, in the game. Probably one against Pascal, one against Scotty, one against OG. You know, he has... Six points plus 18. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, the, the Kyle Lowry game...
2: Kyle Lowry!
0: so many different... Lo- oh, my God, that's commercial. Is that the Asian guy from... It, yeah, that, that asian man has set us back many uh, generations of uh, great social activism he, he,
5: this generation's william <laughs> oh, Robinson no, no, has no, done
0: more that. for asian oh, culture than that guy. oh god <laughs> <laughs> all right we're wrapping it here i've been your host willow you've been listening to the rap to show on the sports radio network thanks once again to bobby marks mark stein amy Otterberg, producer and co-host alex Wong, blake murphy board producer derek brandale jennifer roland david says Jeremy mannett helping behind the scenes I'll see you at the arena